Hello, soulmates. Happy Friday. We have plenty to discuss on this Friday's Fox Soul Black Report. We're following the new FBI warnings related to Haiti and the new project coming from former President Barack Obama. I'm Nicordelai Corte. I'm Brandon Hudson, and for Courtney Hicks, Nicordelai, it's good to join you on a Friday. We made it through the end of the week. We did, and it's great to have you back here at the desk filling in for our, our special lady. Hey, anytime. Uh, plus, Beyonce may be in a little money trouble, but she's not going down without a fight. And the all-black graduating class where each student has been accepted to college. These are the stories that impact our people. And bringing you our news, our views, and our voice. Topping our news today, a Rhode Island police officer who was caught on camera punching a black female politician at an abortion rights rally last summer has been acquitted of a misdemeanor simple assault charge. Now it's been announced that Gene Lugo will also keep his job as a law enforcement official, despite many within the department hoping for his employment to be terminated. Instead, he will face a 10-day unpaid suspension. Police Chief Oscar Perez confirmed that news and stated Lugo will undergo training upon his return. Brandon, here we go again with more training, yep. but to what end? You're punching politicians in the face right. in Rhode Island, of all places? And people in your own department are calling you to be fired. Uh, I do not get this decision, but then when you look at Rhode Island and the makeup of Rhode Island, you start to understand that because this is a space where it's not as diverse, there aren't as many people of color in that state, uh, you do understand that the decision probably makes sense for the people who made the decision. However... Uh, if I am someone who is in that department in Rhode Island, I, and I am a person of color, I can't say that I necessarily feel comfortable if I'm in a traffic stop or any kind of situation where that officer is present. And we've got to ask ourselves, who are these police accountable to? Mm -hmm. right? If you can't be held accountable for punching a politician in the face right. as a law enforcement officer, if you just get 10 days unpaid leave to go and sit in the corner and think about mm -hmm. what you did and then come on back uh, and, and serve up some more, you know, like, who are they accountable to? You know, do we really want to live in communities where this is acceptable? And, you know, this issue has metastasized across our country. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the chief responds to this because uh, I can't necessarily think of a situation where uh, if you are a community group or any or anyone that's associated with a, a social justice cause, that you're going to be comfortable relying on this police department across the board. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But let's uh, go on to our next story here. The father of Devin Willock, excuse me, the father of Devin Willock, who died in a car crash after a Georgia Bulldog parade, is suing the University of Georgia for $2 million in damages. The lawsuit alleges that UGA football recruiting analysts Chandler LaCroix was entrusted with a vehicle despite having a driving record that included four speeding tickets in six years. LaCroix was allegedly driving at 104 miles per hour and under the influence of alcohol when the car crashed, killing Willock. Uh, university spokesperson Greg Trevor denied the allegations and stated that the personal use of vehicles rented for recruiting activities was strictly prohibited. Uh, moving on to another sad case in Atlanta where Coco Dadal, a black trans woman who was featured in the documentary Kokomo City and an aspiring musician, was shot and killed on April 18th. This week, 17-year-old Jamarcus Jernigan turned himself in to the Atlanta police for Coco's murder. He's facing charges of murder, aggravated assault, and possession of a firearm. 
Coco's death is one of three violent crimes against trans women that local law enforcement is currently investigating. Director Dee Smith, a black trans woman, mourned Coco's death in an Instagram post and vowed to inspire the world with her story. Gone too soon, Brandon, gone too soon. How many stories of uh, trans women, particularly black trans right. women, have we already reported on mm -hmm. uh, this year? Uh, you know, this was an actress uh, that had a, a big career ahead of her, made a big splash with this film at Sundance Film Festival just the top of this year, a year that people thought might be a breakout year for her. Uh, has turned into uh, her final year on the planet. It's a, it's a sad state of affairs when we're continuing having discussed, especially being uh, a little more than a month from Pride Month, um, that trans women, especially black trans women, can't live their lives comfortably in their own skin without someone, in this case, a teenager, a teenager, uh, coming after them and, 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 and killing her, mm -hmm. uh, in this case. Uh, so I, I, my heart goes out yeah. to Coco's family uh, and, and the people who knew her and, and everyone that aspires to live like Coco. Mm -hmm. um, but something there, there needs to be more urgency mm -hmm. when it comes to protecting uh, the the women in our, our trans communities. Yeah, and we certainly heard folks like Gabrielle Union uh, during the NAACP Image Awards earlier this year issue that clarion call to action for folks in our community, reminding folks that, you know, trans folks, trans women are a part of our community too, and they are being hunted uh, in, in communities uh, across this country. Um, it's, it's also of note, uh, the irony in the story, mm -hmm. that Kokomo City, the film that made a big splash at Sundance, um, the, the point of that film was really to humanize the lived experience of black trans women outside of you know, them being hunted, to really sort of bring some humanity to the screen. And so you know, uh, though she's gone, she will live forever in terms of contributing uh, to that urgent work. Yeah, and like I said, I hope that um, when we get to that point, that uh, that, that movie is released publicly, mm -hmm. that it is used as a source of education. Yeah, yeah. We pray that be the case. Well, a member of a White Lives Matter group attempted to burn down a church in eastern Ohio that was scheduled to host a drag show. Federal prosecutors say 20-year-old Eamon Penny allegedly used a Molotov cocktail in the attack on the community church of Chesterland on March 25th. Court documents cite his desire to protect children from the event. Penny was arrested on March 31st and faces charges, including violating the Church Arson Prevention Act. You know, drag shows have become a target of conservative groups and transgender rights have faced increasing restrictions in some states. Uh, it, it, it's, it's crazy to see how we go from one story where someone who is trying to live their life in Coco, uh, who is a, a black trans woman, uh, is virtually hunted down and killed. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, we come into this story where a, a, an Ohio church is being bombed for the idea of just hosting a drag show. Um, the, the critics of the, the trans and the drag communities mm -hmm. uh, seem to say they want to protect everybody from that kind of exposure, yet at the same time, the people who are saying that mm -hmm. are hunting and trying to kill the people that they're trying to uh, protect their mm -hmm. children from. 
Yeah. So it, it, it is a crazy way of thinking, and I just don't understand. And it's another indication of just the anti-LGBTQ sentiment that's out there. We see hundreds and hundreds of anti-trans, of anti-LGBTQ laws that are, you know, being introduced and being passed across the country. And it's all creating a climate that is really making it unsafe uh, for people to just enjoy entertainment. Right. Drag is entertainment, and not every uh, drag... Uh, artist uh, is transgender, right? I think that's big news to people. Sometimes they conflate trans with being uh, a drag queen, and that's not the case. Uh, and the fact that you know people cannot, uh, you know, safely enjoy entertainment in their communities, you know, without being demonized. I mean, this is a part of what I think is tearing our country apart. And this is another setback because the goal is to educate and expose our young people to people of other walks of life. Mm -hmm. And we're not doing that because a, a certain group who feel like it is um, too risque or too taboo mm -hmm. uh, are t going to you know, extreme violent lengths to stop it. Mm. All right. Well, four Pennsylvania men have been arrested and charged uh, with assaulting a black Lehigh University student. The student was allegedly called a racial slur, chased to his dorm, threatened with a handgun. Although initially reported as a hate crime, the DA's investigation found no evidence to support the charge. The university is cooperating with the investigation and is pleased that the assailants were charged. Carolyn Bryant Dunham, whose false accusations led to the murder of Emmett Till, has died at the age of 88. Till, a 14-year-old black boy, was kidnapped, beaten, shot, and thrown into a river by two white men after Dunham accused him of flirting with her. Donham's death has sparked mixed reaction on social media, with some expressing outrage that she lived a full life, while Till did not, and others calling out media outlets for using euphemistic language in reporting her passing. Uh, you know, this, this story never gets easy. The story of Emmett Till is still the story of too many black uh, men and women, young boys and girls across the country. And the fact that, you know, the arrest warrant, mm -hmm. the arrest warrant uh, that was issued for her was never delivered because someone in law enforcement decided he didn't need to do it. Right. Uh, you know, it adds insult to injury. It is, uh, excuse me, it is interesting to see that, you know, I mean, I took African-American history in college and we learned about Emmett Till. And it feels like that happened so long ago. Mm -hmm even though we see instances of it happening right now. Uh, it feels like it's happened so long ago, but to know that the woman who was involved uh, just now passed away really puts things into perspective. And, and given that Till had just come out, the movie had just come out, it's a brilliant movie, by the way. Um, but to see you know, what has happened, and I know black Twitter's not gonna let her, you know, even her spirit probably live on in peace. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's just a fine line because one, you're always told you don't talk ill of the dead, but at the same time, the transgressions of the people who have passed away sometimes leave large emotional scars. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it just keeps happening. Mm -hmm. How many stories have we reported on here on Fox Hole's Black Report, you know, of young people? I mean, even just think last week, you know, um, uh, think, think la last week of the young man in Kansas City, Missouri. Ralph Yarrow. Right? you know, who was just knocking on the door to, to pick up his, his siblings, right? And gets shot in the head and shot in the arm, right. right? 
you know, um, you know, there was another story we reported on, you know, of, uh, of a man in Mississippi, you know, who was dismembered, dismembered. So every time we see those stories, we can't help but think about uh, the tragedy uh, uh, that happened to, to Emmett Till and the people that enabled that to happen, uh, being this woman right here. And so tw black Twitter got it right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about WNBA star Brittany Griner. She said in a news conference that she will not play overseas again unless it's, unless it's for the U.S. national team. Now, Griner was released in December after being detained in Russia for 10 months. Uh, she spoke of her experience and concern for other Americans being detained internationally. She also spoke of her return to the elite level of the WNBA after being away from basketball for such a very long time. The Phoenix Mercury Center has been a member of the U.S. national team for a long time. She's won gold medals at two Olympics and won two World Cup competitions. Uh, hopefully, and, and this, is a, 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 this is wishful thinking here, mm -hmm. but you would hope, uh, seeing this, that the WNBA or someone can you know, offer our American women some sort of pay so that they don't have to rely and, mm -hmm. and and consequentially put their lives in danger in another foreign country. But, you know, the crazy thing is here in America, our WNBA players are paid very low six figures. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have to go overseas and to make a, 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 a living that will uh, help them feel financially secure. Mm -hmm. um, you would hope that what was what happened with the pay scale for the U.S. women's national team in soccer can happen for, you know, the women that are in the WNBA. But again, that is a very uh, tough ask. Mm -hmm. And I really just like that, that Brittany Griner used this opportunity to be vulnerable and to share a little bit about her personal story without getting into too many details about the experience in Russia, but to shine a light on the issue of pay equity, mm -hmm. right? The, the pay gap that exists between the WNBA and the NBA, you know, and so what are they doing to prevent, you know, another situation where uh, an American player goes and plays overseas, whether it's Russia or some other uh, country that's been hostile uh, to the United States? You know, what are they doing to prevent that from happening? Well, it seems like there's a pretty specific fix right here, a pretty easy fix, which is paying them more. And so I, I hope, to your point, that they do what, uh, what they did in women's soccer. Well, no, it's, it's now to the point with, in college with these name image likenesses yeah. that some of these uh, female athletes are making more money in college than they probably would in the WNBA. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we hope that change is going to come soon. Coming up, there are new warnings this week from the FBI when it comes to traveling. It will tell you why they are telling Americans to steer clear of Haiti. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report. It's now time to get into some international headlines. The CDC is relaxing COVID-19 restrictions on international travelers who've received at least a single dose of Pfizer or Moderna vaccine on or after 
August 16th, 2022. So this change comes as the national public health emergency is set to expire next month. The CDC's new rules do not apply to U.S. citizens, lawful permanent residents or immigrants. Dr. Anthony Fauci has urged the country to, quote, move forward from the public health emergency while still maintaining resources to help those who are infected. Uh, so it's crazy to believe that this was three years ago now that we were all in our mm -hmm. homes and uh, we had very limited uh, exposure to other people. Um, but to see that there are still restrictions that are still being peeled back, mm -hmm. um, it's also still a reminder that COVID it has not gone away. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it will ever go away, but we have to at least live our lives, but also take those precautions. Yeah, and who would have ever thought, I mean, thinking back to the, some of the darkest days of the pandemic, who would have ever thought we would hear Dr. Anthony Fauci say it's time to move forward? Right. Right, I mean, this, this really feels like the day that so many of us were, were waiting for. And, you know, it's not lost on us that we lost over a million Americans. Yeah. You know, we lost millions of people around the world uh, to this pandemic. Those were really scary times. And so, you know, it's good to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So this should be, uh, a, 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 I want to say it's, it feels like a new day. Um, and, and I hate to use the term new normal, but um, I, I don't know if we'll ever get back to a point where we fully feel comfortable, but I at least I'm at the point now where I do feel more comfortable mm -hmm. than I did, you know, even last year or the year before that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still carry my mask with me, mm -hmm. you know, but I find myself slipping it on uh, few and far between. Yeah. Well, the FBI has issued a warning to Americans against traveling to Haiti due to the increased violence and kidnappings, which has risen by 300 percent over the last year. The FBI cited the case of an American couple who were kidnapped in March while visiting the country and had to pay a ransom of $200,000 to be released. Haiti has seen a rise in violence and insecurity with criminal gangs taking control of an estimated 60 percent of the city of Port-au-Prince. In a recent report, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez described the situation in Haiti as, quote, one of the worst human rights crises in decades and a major humanitarian emergency. It's sad for a country like that to have to go through so much mm -hmm. between the uprising that's there, the earthquakes that mm -hmm. are there, uh, the poverty mm -hmm. that is there. Uh, it, it, the recent assassination of yes. their president. It, it really puts things into perspective, you know, how well, and even on, our, you know, on your worst day that we may have it here, uh, it's probably never going to get as worse as it is down in Haiti. Uh, for visitors mm -hmm. to have to spend more money than, than they ever anticipated, just for their freedom, mm -hmm. uh, is just a scary thought. Yeah, and, and why isn't the world rallying around Haiti more, right? Mm -hmm. We know that, you know, Haiti was, you know, one of the first uh, countries in the hemisphere, you know, that where, a, where black folks led a rebellion, you know, that led to, you know, independence from colonialism. And it feels like in terms of, you know, foreign policy directed towards Haiti, that they're sort of paying a price for that, right? Um, you know, how many other countries do you see a president assassinated? Do you see a series of, you know, both man-made and, you know, um, natural disasters that take place? And we don't really see the world rallying around Haiti the way that they need it right now. And, you know, uh, 
you know, Haiti is a part of the black diaspora. We have, you know, black family members that are there in Haiti. And it's got to be really painful to, you know, our friends and family members who aren't going to be able to go home anytime soon because it's so unstable. I know that there are several, you know, congressional leaders who do represent Haitian communities. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe, hopefully, it would be up to them to, um, you know, try to at least propose bills or propose some sort of uh, plan to support what is going down in Haiti and help out the people who are in less fortunate you know, situations. Because we see it happen with Ukraine. Mm. We see it happen with other European countries. Mm -hmm. We just don't see it happen with countries in our Caribbean that we'd love to, uh, in other situations, maybe visit. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, when we see things going bad, we'll just... That's not my problem. Well, we'd love to have them on here to talk about it. Yeah. All right, so according to reports, Americans stranded in Sudan due to the ongoing violence feel abandoned by the U.S. government. Now, despite other nations evacuating their citizens, the U.S. government has said that conditions in the country are not conducive to a civilian evacuation. Reports indicate that the State Department assistance has been minimal, leaving Americans and their families to navigate a dangerous situation with little guidance. Fighting between rival military groups has left hundreds dead, thousands wounded. The U.S. government has warned against travel to Sudan since June 2021. All right, so where is the U.S. State Department? Because based upon a lot of reporting coming out of the region, mm -hmm. the State Department is MIA. They're not really providing guidance that is tailored to what's happening in real time in the region, their guidance really feels more like cut and paste, mm -hmm. right? And so to anybody who is watching this at the U.S. State Department, like, please let us know, what specific guidance are you providing to people in Sudan? Because they aren't getting it and they feel like uh, you all are asleep at the switch. This is a power play between two factions. And it is unfortunate that you have people from America that are, are trapped in the middle, along with other Young, young African um, families, people who are also trapped in the middle. Uh, it just, it breaks my heart. Yeah, and, and it reminds me of the fact that the, the plan for America to pull out of Afghanistan, that wasn't a good plan, right. right? You know, it was really messy and it was botched in terms of how we did it. Well, it feels like the plan to pull Americans out of Sudan is no better, yeah. right? right? You know, and, and so, you know, we need our government uh, to do better not just by us, you know, here on the homeland, but Americans that are abroad, um, and particularly Americans in African countries. You know, we've got to do better. You would think they would have learned, but uh, especially a, a country of our size would have learned with all the resources we have, but it's the same rinse and repeat all over again. Rinse and repeat. Well, speaking of African countries, 11 female members of parliament in Uganda were detained by police for staging an unlawful protest. The lawmakers sustained injuries during their arrest. Uh, they were protesting police brutality and the use of excessive force against various events organized by female lawmakers in recent weeks. Police denied using excessive force, accusing the lawmakers of resisting arrest and injuring some police officers. Uganda's security personnel have frequently been accused of brutality, especially against opponents of the president. Brazilian officials, including Minister of Racial Equality, Aniel Franco, accompanied President Lula on his first European visit to fight against racial discrimination faced by Brazilians in Portugal and elsewhere. Franco 
met with Portuguese Parliament Affairs Minister Ana Carolina Mendes to discuss policies to tackle racial injustice. Both governments agreed on a national strategy to combat racism. A study by migrant association Casa do Brasil showed 91% of Brazilians in Portugal face some discrimination in accessing public services. And you see the, the, the it's a colorism aspect mm -hmm. here. And it, it's hard to believe that even though we do live in America, there are other countries who deal with racism. Uh, when you talk about people in South America and, and people in Europe. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and really this story just affirms that a lot of the challenges that we are fighting against here in the United States when it comes to racial justice, this is really a global movement. Mm -hmm. It's a global movement. And you know, part of what we've all inherited are the le legacies of colonialism. Uh, and, and so it's great to see that you know, the sister uh, of the black councilwoman that was killed in Rio de Janeiro, uh, that she's channeling the pain of that yeah. loss into purpose. And she is pushing the uh, sitting president um, to do right by his pledge to advance racial justice in Brazil. I would just, I hope that it's uh, the, the seeds that they're planting uh, are, are fruitful and there are changes that are noticeable because as with other countries, and we see it here, the, uh, the push to end racism, there's a lot of talk, but at some point talk has to turn into action. That's right, that's right. And where is the money? Where are you investing? Right. Who are you investing in? What leaders are you supporting? Uh, we'll keep our eye on that story and more, but still ahead on Fox Souls Black Report, former President Barack Obama has a new project in the works. Yeah, he's teamed up with Netflix again to release a new docuseries. We'll tell you all about it when we return. We'll be right back, soulmates. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, a famous Mississippi hotel has been demolished. And so the EF Young Hotel was once a place of safety for blacks who traveled during the Jim Crow and civil rights. It also provided some safe lodging for the likes of Ella Fitzgerald, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the Harlem Globetrotters, and common laborers, among other notable black leaders. Now this week, uh, Meridian residents watched as the work crew toppled the building. Mm, yeah, in 2021, the hotel was considered a safety hazard. Eric Young, a co-owner of EF Young Hotel, told local station WKOT-TV that it would be too expensive to rehabilitate the building, uh, and he's not alone. There are a lot of uh, you know, buildings that have historical value mm -hmm. uh, across the country uh, where folks just can't afford to rehab them. Uh, yeah, I hate to see a piece of history have to go away like yeah. this, uh, because I think it, it reminds people of the past that we have come from, especially in the South. And I think, you know, being a Southerner and, and born and raised in the South, I, I think, you know, in some ways we are still dealing with the, the scars that come from uh, racism and segregation. Uh, and I mean, it happens in other states all across the country as well. But I feel like in the South in particular, there's still that uh, sense of, um, we need to understand our history, where we came from, so it does not repeat itself. And you were born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama, right? I was, yeah, yeah. And so I think Alabama, and we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. they've done a great job of embracing it, their past 
and welcoming people because I remember growing up, um, you know, you, you'd always find maybe the occasional person who was, you know, visiting and asking where the Edmund Pettus Bridge is. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, you know, an hour away from Selma, so you could tell them where it was. But, you know, now they've built museums, Rosa Park Museum, EJI. Um, so it, it is great to see a city like that that is steeped in racism uh, embrace its past and educate people. Yeah, you're right. I've been to that, that museum. It's, yeah. it's really something, something else. Uh, you know who else is something else? Former President <laughs> Barack Obama. He's teaming up again with Netflix for a new docu-series following the lives of American workers. The documentary is, is a four-part, it's a four-part series. It's narrated by former President Obama. The series aims to explore the ways in which we find meaning in our work and how our experiences and struggles connect us on a human level. He's also looking to find out what exactly makes a good job good. Working What We Do All Day premieres May 17th on Netflix. How surreal that we live in a world now where a former president mm -hmm. of the United States is making docu-series yeah. and documentaries and, you know, he's got an imprint, both he and the former first lady um, have an imprint in media. Mm -hmm. her, her podcast is amazing. Her book was amazing. Um, but to see the president working with a company like Netflix, usually... You know, I mean, George W. Bush, he's kind of faded out of the limelight. Bill Clinton was faded out of the limelight simply because, you know, he was, uh, well, we, he was back in the limelight because his wife was running for president. Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump, we won't go there because he's got his own set of, you know, troubles at this point. <laughs> Indictment. But, uh, and even Jimmy Carter um, and H.W. Bush before he passed away, they mm -hmm. kind of faded out of the limelight. But you see... President, former President Obama, doing a lot of things to uh, educate our country. Mm -hmm. And he's not just doing it in a travel to city to city and speak, but he's doing it in a, you know, re way that reaches the masses through Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is because he is a younger former president mm -hmm. than other former presidents. And so I think that makes a difference. Um, you know, he was sort of the first, you know, sort of president in the, the media landscape that we know today, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, social media and, and, uh, and you, know, um, you know, the advent of streaming services all sort of happened on his watch, right? Yeah. And so it's just good to see him leaning into it. And he's not waiting till, you know, uh, his presidential library is built to put, you know, all of these sort of, um, you know, innovative ideas uh, there. You know, he is starting now uh, and, uh, we love to see it. So we've seen Obama do something post his initial career. Mm -hmm. Another person who's done that very well is Ice Cube. He is working on a new docuseries. Cube's Big Three Basketball League will be the subject of a new docuseries following its launch in 2017. And its rise to popularity in the years since. The series will dive into the creation of the Big Three, one of the fastest growing new sports leagues in the United States, and its journey to rivaling the NBA, since its formation, Big Three, has earned the honor of being the first black-owned and operated professional sports league. It is also the first league to have female coaches within a male sport and icons like Lisa Leslie taking on coaching duties. NBA Hall of Famer Clyde Drexler, meanwhile, serves as the commissioner of the Big Three. There was an emotional moment on stage just minutes before the draft started. The NFL welcomed the families 
of the three UVA football players who were shot and killed after a class trip last November. Welcome to the NFL family, Deshaun Perry, Lavelle Davis, and Devin Chandler of the University of Virginia. Commissioner Roger Goodell recognized Deshaun Perry, Lavelle Davis Jr., and Devin Chandler as honorary draft picks. Each family received jerseys with their son's favorite team. So I hate that I missed the beginning of the draft and I missed that as it aired live. But for all the, 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 the maybe missteps the NFL has, they know how to get it right. And this was one of those shows of um, support that they didn't have to do, but they did it. And um, it, it is a, a, a classy move by uh, what is the most popular league, sports league in America. Yeah, they definitely got this right. And it definitely you know, felt really appropriate. The tone was right. Um, and just what a very moving tribute. Um, you know, those young men had big dreams. Yeah. And those big dreams included playing in the NFL. And so, um, you know, hopefully now with their angel wings, uh, they are um, celebrating, you know, this moment. You know what? I'm not going to even say anything else because that was beautifully said. Thank you. So I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So now to some great heartwarming news. It is a celebration at a high school unlike any other. Uh, all uh, of their graduating seniors are accepted into college. That's right. And the best part is that the students at Southland College Prep in Illinois did it all while living through a pandemic. Take a look. That is the sound of an entire senior class celebrating their acceptance to college, all of them. Excellence, as you know, is never, ever an accident. It's not an accident. I believe that excellence is contagious, and, but I also believe that excellence demands commitment and tenacious dedication. The valedictorian Haley Love is deciding between five Ivy League schools, Brown, Columbia, Cornell, University of Pennsylvania, and Yale. And she was offered full ride scholarships to the University of Chicago, Smith College, NYU, and Northwestern. In fact, all 125 of them have earned $60 million worth of merit and need-based scholarships to prestigious schools like Berkeley, Northwestern, Caltech, and Columbia. Attending the University of Illinois at urbana Campaign. Sasha Dixon. And this class did it all while navigating the pandemic, social distancing, and virtual learning. We have now been accepted to all 50 of the top universities in America. Let's give it up for the class of 2023. We love to see it. Yeah, is that, that is very impressive, especially given all the challenges that we saw during yeah. the pandemic. Uh, hats off to all of those young people, uh, and, con and congrats and good luck to wherever you go. Um, but we need to normalize images like this again, too, mm -hmm. especially when you have so many um, young black men and women uh, who are you know, highly educated. Mm -hmm. um, they are go-getters, and they are doing what's best for their futures. And they are such a powerful demonstration of why we do this show. Yeah. You know, that story, you know, should be running on every platform, right? They represent 
um, what's possible and what is happening uh, in communities across the country. And look, you know, we, we've been talking about the dark days of the pandemic. That pandemic wasn't easy. There are a lot of people that, that, that didn't make it out of that pandemic the same. And so the fact that even, you know, with those pandemic headwinds blowing their way, you know, that uh, they were able to finish strong and that they're all going to college. I think it's terrific. All right. Well, hey, up next, Ed Sheeran. He is in court fighting for his music and defending his name. That's right. We'll tell you which song he's accused of stealing from the late, great Marvin Gaye. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fox Hole's Black Report. It is time now for our celebrity and entertainment headlines. That's right. And on Fridays, you know, we like to have a little more fun with these stories. So here to join in on the conversation is the very funny Mike Mizzle. Welcome to Fox Hole's Black Report, brother. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. All right, let's get right into it. So, Mike, uh, we're going to have you listen and, and read along with these stories with us, and then we're going to get uh, your opinion on it. First and foremost, let's talk about... Uh, uh, Beyonce, she is challenging the IRS in court. The 41-year-old singer is pushing back against an almost $2.7 million tax liability for the years of 2018 and 2019. That's right. The IRS is also charging her interest for those back taxes she allegedly owes. Beyonce says that she properly reported her income and deductions, and if any additional taxes are owed, there should be no penalties. Now, both 2018 2019 were lucrative years for the songstress. She headlined Coachella. She toured with her husband, Jay-Z. She voiced Nala uh, in the Disney's Lion King. So, Mike, uh, I mean, it shows that nobody, nobody's above their taxes. Uh, but let me, let me ask you what you think about this story here. Uh, my, I feel like after they did the Wesley Snipes, I think Beyonce might want to just go ahead and cut that check. Um, <laughs> hey, I mean, it's... She, so it's really it stemmed from eight hundred thousand dollar charity deduction that she gave, and they didn't approve it. The IRS didn't approve it, so it kind of got rejected. And then later on, they said, "Well, you know what? We need two thousand, two million dollars in fees." Um, that's 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 extensive. So um, I don't know. I don't think she should have to pay if she paid if she did it the right way. But at the same time, I think what they did the Wesley Snipes. Nah, I think they should. I think just cut the check. I mean, be honest, it's eight. It's 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 eight million dollars. You got that. She got it. She got in her purse. So you say she got it. She got it. She got it. She got in her purse. Hmm. Well, uh, somebody who who may not have it in his purse because he doesn't have a purse. The copyright infringement trial for Ed Sheeran is heating up as he's accused of stealing music. So plaintiff Catherine Townsend Griffin, she claims that Sheeran's song "Thinking Out Loud" rips off Marvin Gaye's. Let's get it on, which was co-written by her father, Ed Townsend. Sheeran denies allegations that his song is a ripoff. Mike, what do you think? Uh, I, I, have you heard these songs back to back lately? Yeah, I have. Ed Sheeran just Ed, she Ed Sheeran needs to learn from Pharrell and from Robin Thicke. Mm, the, yeah. the gay family, that whole that's they're like the they're like the Gambinos of copyright music. <laughs> you don't play with their music. Like if they hear Marvin Gaye's flute in the background, they're like, ah, that's Marvin's flute. Right. <laughs> I know Marvin's flute when I hear it. So I feel like he and this is not his first time either. Um, he just wrapped up a case last year for the same thing. So I feel like when you lay those songs on top of each other. It's the same song, just different lyrics. So he's going to be paying that fine until he's 70. 
<laughs> so, so he's how old? <laughs> Seventy. <laughs> I think I think you're right, and I and I wish they would stop trying to play us. I mean, uh, trying yeah. to act like you know there's no relationship between you know the the songs that they produce and you know these sort of you know great songs that we all grew up to. Right. You know, listening to on Saturday mornings as we're cleaning up the house, right? And so yeah. we know it's the same song. You know, it's like don't fool me. Well, hey, look. Uh, at the very least, we at least know that Marvin Gaye's music is so iconic that. Everybody else is trying to copy and bite his style, but again, you, you gotta pay the money. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta front I, the check. I think the nail, in the, the nail in the cloth is gonna be that there were emails, internal emails, going back and forth that said this sounds like Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. and Ooh. they still did it. So yeah, you know what you know it, you know what you know what it sounded like. Oh yeah, hundred percent. All right, so let's move on to our yes. next story here. Uh, Shannon Sharp, he is joining Jalen Rose and clapping back at Phil Jackson for his comments related to Black Lives Matter and basketball. That's right. On his show, Undisputed, Shannon Sharp said to co-host Skip Bayless, quote, can you tell Dum Dum politics have always been in sports? Now all of a sudden it turns him off? Come on, Phil. You sound foolish. Well, Sharp then went on to name greats such as Muhammad Ali, Jack Johnson, Jesse Owens, who all spoke on politics during their career. And even Skip Bayless mentioned that it was black players who took Phil Jackson to mm-hmm. all those championships. Hello. Uh, this seems like, this is kind of a, a surprise, given that Phil Jackson is such, uh, was known as such a cool guy, didn't really let anything bother him. And now that he's been out of the spotlight for a while, it, it seems like he kind of forgot who, put, who helped put more food on his table. Come on now. Facts times facts. Mike, what do you think? I don't... You know, I don't think he forgot. I just think that I think that there are certain there are certain um, celebrities, right, uh, that are our counterparts that we give a pass to, mm-hmm. that we try to incorporate as welcome to the cookout. And I think Phil was welcome to the cookout, but I don't think that um, I don't think that he is any different than he was before. Um, sometimes people believe that you have the right to get earn and make as much money as you want to, as long as you don't make as much as I make. And for him to say that that. Um, like the equal rights and justice and speaking out against things like police brutality and stuff doesn't have a place in basketball, I think is absurd. Um, and plus he said that in the interview that well, he didn't like the names on the back of the jerseys. Uh, Phil, uh, justice, peace, equilibrium, mm-hmm. that might be their real names. That might not even have been nicknames. <laughs> hey, these days you'd never know. You never really know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it just seems like when you have... Uh, Every league in America recognizing that we need to stand up for injustices in the black community because there are a lot in the black community, a lot of people in the black community who watch us. Uh, It it seems tone deaf for them to just kind of, you know, turn their shoulder. So I I do appreciate, you know, what the NFL has done, what uh, the NBA has done and and WNBA and and several other leagues and in recognizing at least, you know, putting those words out there. But uh, I know that a lot of these leagues have also gone a step further with the voting initiative and like that and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the NBA Social Justice Coalition is doing great work. But I mean, it's like Phil doesn't know where his players uh, go back home to. You know, uh, you know, these are folks that are still part of our community. They still come home for for holidays. You know, they they still come to to church uh, when they can come to church. And so, you know, it's it is um, it's crazy, you know, that 
there is such a disconnect between the Phil Jackson that we recently heard about and the Phil Jackson that uh, we grew up watching, Coach yeah. Michael Jordan. What do you think, Mike? Exactly. I, I feel like I feel like our relationship to Phil was through Michael Jordan and through Scottie Pippen. So we got to see uh, a Phil that was comfortable in those types of arenas. But everybody knows that people are different when they leave work. Um, and it's oftentimes not, the, it doesn't bother them. It's not their responsibility. Privilege allows you to not care about things that don't impact you. And so um, because it's not hitting home for him, then it shouldn't be something that he should have to deal with during his basketball game. And I think that that's an absurd, absurd stance to have as you know, as a six-time, seven-time ring uh, winner off of the backs of black athletes. Very true. Well, moving along, celebrity marriages end all the time. But there's one in particular mm-hmm. where pretty much everyone is on the wife's side. We're talking about Nick Cannon and Mariah Carey. Now, on his podcast, The Daily Cannon, Nick said that he wants people to consider the fact that maybe, just maybe, Mariah fumbled him. Now, you may remember Nick and Mariah divorced in 2016 after being married for eight years, having twins, Moroccan and Monroe. And Cannon says that many fans assume that he messed things up, but he says that he was there to support Mariah and that things just didn't work out. Mike, let me get your opinion on this one. Um, I think that Mariah Carey realized that that cannon was going to be going off a lot lately, <laughs> and she did not want to be. She did not want to be walking around looking like she was carrying pit bull puppies. So right. I think Mariah just got out of there, and you know, and I think Nick gets a lot. I think gets a lot of uh, bad press because of his decision to um, have children with multiple women, and it just goes against what. Um, we believe is the standard for marriage in this country and what we're programmed to believe is how the right way to do things. I don't think I don't think either one of them fumbled the bag. I mean, Mariah Carey, um, she owns Christmas, so she'll be fine, you know, and she also, (laughs) you know, um, she and she also she's you know, she's you know, she's getting up there a little bit. So, you know, maybe she maybe she doesn't want to be out. In the press, Nick's, Nick is very present. Nick is very um, vocal on certain topics, and that just may not have been for her. So, I mean, if that's the, if that's what she chose, or the, however they parted, whatever the case may be. But I think Nick has been really, really vocal about um, everything that goes on with his love life and with his marriage and his kids. So, I'm gonna side with Nick and say that if you know, if he if he if he thought he fumbled the bag, he would say so. Um, but I don't think he did. I think that you know, I think there was a, it was a um, what do they call it now, a conscious uncoupling. <laughs> Conscious uncoupling. Un- un- you know, I mean, do, do you think maybe even uh, you know, Nick was too far outside? I mean, clearly he was really outside. Uh, and Mariah Carey, yeah. Mariah yeah. Carey, you know, very much inside, you know. But how much of the talking about their relationship so publicly do you think sort of did the men? I think sometimes people may overshare. Do you think that might have been a part of the equation that led to their decoupling? Well, well I, I think that... I think we forget that Mariah has her own baggage. Uh, Mariah has her Tony Matola baggage. Mariah has other uh, things that come with her as well that would make it difficult for a husband to um, be able to support her in a lot of things that she has going on. Well, I think we forget that Nick also has um, an illness that he had that he's been dealing with and he's been vocal about. And sometimes it's really difficult for people to, especially for black men and interracial relationships. It's a lot of times hard for interracial um, spouses to be able to support them through those types of challenges so i don't want to make it seem like oh nick was difficult but because they both have their own separate baggage that they brought to the table you said interracial relationships uh yeah that's what i said <laughs> <laughs> but but they both black 
Are they though? Oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what, I mean, what, what, uh, <laughs> celebrity relationship. Let's say celebrity relationship, because Mariah is black. She is black That's most right. times. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh, our soulmates are gonna have to sound off on right. this one. Hey, Mike, we you really know I had to get a soulmate. You know I gotta get a soulmate something to go on. <laughs> well, and we appreciate that. You are off to the races, Mike. We appreciate you <laughs> joining us. Before Not we let you go, what's new with you? What can fans expect from you this year? Um, for, so right next, I mean, I'm just doing shows around town. Of course, I do a lot of um the stand up comedy and stuff in Hollywood. So. Um, they can see me um, go to my, my Instagram page, uh, M-I-K-E-M-I-Z-Z-E-L. They can come out and see me um, at all of the most popular spots. Um, I'm hosting a comedy show right now, and um, I have a podcast that I do called Social Distractions. So, um, yeah, they can come over to my page and catch up with me and see and uh, look at pictures of my French Bulldog. All right. All hey, right, brother. We appreciate you, brother. Have a good one. Have a good weekend. Not a problem. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, there's more Fox Soul Black Report coming up after the break. Identical Twins, Genesis for Black Excellence. We're going to tell you the story behind how these two earned valedictorian and salutatorian at the same school. Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report. We want to introduce you all to the Identical Twin Sisters, who are taking black girl magic to a whole nother level, y'all. Yeah, so we're talking about Maya and Madison Glover. Uh, they're from Toledo, Ohio. They're celebrating having been named their high school's valedictorian and salutatorian this year. And get this, both girls will graduate high school with two years of college credits already under their belts. That's right, Maya is the valedictorian and Madison is the salutatorian for the class of 2023 at Toledo Early College High School. Now, both of them earned a 3.9 GPA with only a difference of just a few decimals. Meanwhile, here in Detroit, there's a black woman who has made it her mission to tackle the needs of oral hygiene. That's right. Her name is Deanna Alexander, and she's coasting around the city in her mobile van to help those in need. Fox 2 News Detroit's Amy Andrews has a story. You could say Deanna Alexander has a knack for making Detroiters smile. And they would say, here she comes, the teeth ladies. Always talking about teeth, but that's my passion, that's what I do. The longtime registered dental hygienist is now touching lives in a way she never thought possible, thanks to the Motor City Cares initiative. They outfitted her with this free custom dental clinic on wheels. The initiative, supported by the Delta Dental Foundation and the Ford Motor Fund, is aimed at uplifting minority businesses and bringing high-quality mobile oral health care services to people who need it. I served the underserved population. I started uh, in the southwest Detroit area in Mexican town, and we go there in that community because there's a large population there, and they are in need of care. They don't have access to care, so we come right to, to the neighbor. Deanna began her career three decades ago with a little portable hygiene unit. She loved her work so much, she would take the unit to family and friends' houses to polish and clean their teeth and to teach them about the importance of oral health. Now the mobile dental suite allows Deanna to live out her dream while balancing her busy home life. And I started this back in 2008. 
I have a son. He's uh, he was born in 2007, and I didn't have a babysitter. So with me being a hygienist, I could work in various offices. At the end of the day, she says she is extremely grateful for the opportunity to help people live longer, healthier lives, and to give them more confidence. I get a chance to meet fun people like you. I get fun kids on the, on the van. I have nice fun toys for them to play with and just getting people involved in dental care and how fun it is. It's not to, it's not to be afraid anymore. Well, hey, it's great to see uh, a need for the people go to the people. That's right. I'm the Cordelai Corte. And I'm Brandon Hudson in for Courtney Hicks. And on behalf of everyone here at Fox Hills Black Report, have a great weekend and stay lifted.